This is Hacking the Afterlife podcast with Jennifer Schaefer. Jennifer! Hello, Richard. How are you, my dear? It's so nice to see you. It is wonderful seeing you, too. I love the rainbow. Well, I must say we had one outside our balcony. I tried to take a picture of it. I didn't get it, but I got this one I'm offline. I'm the same, same ocean out of my office, and there's no rainbow for me. No rainbows for you. Um, no, yeah. we, we've had a couple right outside our balcony. The whole sky just lit up. And, you know, the rainbow coming into our apartment. No, I'm kidding. But, like, outside the apartment. <laughs> you know, it is a fascinating thing about science, not to jump into it, but rainbows apparently are different to each person who sees them. Not the photograph, but when you're standing and seeing a rainbow... Depending what degree you're at, you have a different rainbow than anybody else. And that's what I try to say to people when they talk about a near-death experience or something or dream that's different than everybody else's. It's the same thing. Your perception of what you're seeing based on where you are is going to be slightly different. It's been beautiful with the rain and then the sunshine coming through and then back to rain again. It's been a fun afternoon yes in LA. but you know we're under a blizzard alert i know i know snow alert and yes. since you grew up here that's kind of like yeah right okay sure but i grew up in chicago Storm that was like <laughs> you gotta <laughs> get out the home. boots everybody's like you know shaking out the boots at this point getting out the shovel you know getting yeah. ready for the blizzard well so I'm only got only got you today for a f- you know just a few. So Luana, is there anybody on the flip side in our class that wants to come forward and talk to us? Do you have anybody on your clipboard who wants to chat? Hira, Hira said. Hira said that you you talked to him. Oh my gosh! Hello, Hira. Right. Woof. Woof. I- woof. You know, it's funny, Hira's name was mentioned in my living room just this morning. Actually, my son was talking to his uh, teacher on the phone, and they were having a speakerphone call, mm-hmm. and he started talking about Hira to the teacher, and he was trying to figure out, like, how much he should tell the teacher. Like, you know, my dad has this conversation with our friend Jennifer and where they talk to a dog, by the way, Hira's a dog, uh, Robert yes. Town's dog, who's on the flip side. Right. Um, not Robert Town, but the not dog. Not Robert Town, he's here. But his dog, Hira, who passed away about 30 uh, some years ago. Um, and I was trying to give context to this teacher. And I said, well, let's just say this. Robert is still dreaming of Hira 30 years later. It is, it's the one thing that made him believe in the afterlife. It's very true. So Hira is a Commodore, a Hungarian sheepdog. And for those that are that know that, you know, what a Commodore is, yes, I know what it is. He was one. So Hira, what do you want to say? Well, he's mentioning because I brought through a dog for somebody um, just right before this. And uh, he says that I have to stop holding back, that I need to be more like... Hold on. I'm like, there's got to be a joke in there. More like the bitch or the dog. What are you saying, Hira? (laughs) 
Well, don't um, hold back, meaning allow that the dog could speak. Is that what he means? Right. And I think maybe I helped. Well, again, I told you it was challenge. It was challenging content that I was. I always say that that I was dealing with for the last two clients. Um, nothing new, but um, so when the dog came, when I saw the dog, I'm like, oh, okay, um, and. It, it wasn't anything bad or wrong or anything. The dog actually made it so bright in here. Like it just lit up the room with my client. She was so excited and what he had to say. And he came through with everything down to the fact that when she was holding him, letting him go, she asked for her brother to be there and her brother who's in spirit and her, her brother showed me all of it, how he was there, how he got Tucker, the dog. And it was just a beautiful like that's what we do for each other, whether our animals are over there, people, they are all, people come and spirits come and animals and everything and angels come to greet us when we cross over. No one's ever alone. And we, one of the biggest things was the dog's like, I never looked, my heaven was here with her. Like I didn't want to leave. Hmm. And I, and to the dog, the dog's like, I'm not even gone because they're still around more. So it feels like. Than the humans are. I know that sounds weird. It doesn't sound weird. And I, I love that we're talking about it because, you know, people, when we talk about some of these concepts, unconditional love, people talk about when they get to the flip side, they experience that. It's very hard for humans to even conceptualize what that means. Right. Unless they start talking about their pet. And then it's like the, the pet can do no wrong. I mean, you know, they could tear apart the painting, knock over the, the vase. Ultimately, the pet is forgiven unless you're a nutball. But right. that unconditional love applies to animals, but it also applies to humans, especially what they talk about on the flip side. But it's easier to conceptualize for humans to realize right. the thing that they love the most that could do no wrong, that love is unconditional. And then also the fact that they live shorter lives than we do so we really do have to deal with their passing whereas a lot of us might not have other people in our lifetime that we had to deal with or very few but right. pets we definitely have to and so to hear them come through and give verification that they still exist to give verification that they love us unconditionally and are hanging around right i with also with specific information it's not this, like oh you fed your dog oh you made your you made your dog this homemade slash like like it's very i can't even remember of course i don't remember it but very well in hira's case you know he mentioned well hira just came back hold on one second um hira you have he came back give me a second oh that's fine hold on oh brilliant i start talking british when i think of hira um, he says that I know he's Hungarian. Doesn't matter. I always doesn't like matter. He he had a lifetime in Scotland with Robert. Okay, but he says that was his point. He goes, we are contracted together. Your animals, no matter birds, you know, you have a pet bird. Like we're contracted to our owners forever. Like we come back and you know, and we come in different. You know, some of us come in different forms. I was a horse. You know, I like, that's why I like the Buffalo that I, you know, like, I felt like that was more of a horse when we described, you know, when I described an incident that happened at Catalina Island. Yes. And for those tuning in uh, for the first or last time, Hyra mentioned the fact that he challenged a Buffalo on Catalina Island 
I didn't know that. Jennifer didn't know that. But Robert did know that, was there when it happened. And for him, that was a verification that only Hira could know. But also, we I asked him if he had had other lifetimes with Robert, and he said yes, as a horse in Scotland in the 1800s. And I was able to track down the name of that town that he mentioned because it was near a, a lake up in northern Scotland, etc. Hira, what do you want to talk about? The doghouse is yours. He says animal house. No pun intended. <laughs> okay. Hold on. I just want to make sure that everyone that's a pet owner knows that they're never alone, even after some of us are gone. Because we're not gone. We're just not in that room. And what's a way, Hira, that people can communicate with their pets who've crossed over? What's a, give us a, a best pictures. case. We love pictures. We love taking pictures when we're there. We love pictures. Um, watch dog movies if you're a dog owner. Watch a canary, like if you have a bird, watch a bird movie. Because we'll be able to be right there. Whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. I watched Puss in Boots last night, so that would be a good movie. See? Speaking of Puss in Boots, I've mentioned this before. This is a photograph that Luana took of me holding her cat. And this was taken in 1996. It was the last photograph she took. But that cat just happens to look exactly like our cat. So it's a little weird. But we've had conversations with Mr. Bailey as well. He's shown up. So that idea, folks, listening in, your pets are with you. Yes, they are. All the time, all the days. Hold on. That's all Hyrule wanted to say. He just, he can feel, I feel there's, he's sensing, he says, from Earth. It's so funny. He's showing me like waves leaving Earth to over there. He says that um, I'm sensing a lot of people feel that they're alone. And as a speaker of the house for the animals and the pet community at large, They need, he's told me to stop laughing. I'm not trying to be a robot. <laughs> the owners need to know, and the foster parents need to know that we are always around them, even at their loneliest times when they feel alone. So just to give some context for those listening to Hira, the dog speak, Hira was a dog that I walked for three years while he was still on the planet. Hira is the only dog ever nominated for an Oscar as a screenwriter. He says he should have won. He should have won. You can look it up. And I Grace... didn't know if he won or not. I didn't know. Well, you would have said he would have won. Never but mind. But Stoke, the film about the Tarzan film that Robert Town wrote that was taken away from him and rewritten, Robert, instead of using his name, insisted they put Hira's name on the script. P.H. Vizak, V-I-Z-A-K, because Hira inspired him to write the film from the ape's point of view, because that's what he saw in Hira was a sentient animal that when he spoke to him, he understood what he was saying, and they communicated on a higher level. And so Robert started thinking about Tarzan who was raised by apes and what was that relationship like and what would that what was that like when they were separated yeah 
It's so fascinating. I never even thought of that. So it's it's a perfect an unusual way, but that's his credit. He was nominated for an Oscar. Mm -hmm. That is it, it is really crazy. And right. you know hold on. The show movie last night and Jack and I were talking about it, but she's actually bringing it up. And she said, did you watch it twice? No, oh, there were two movies that came out about David. I saw back to back, and one was the Little Canyon. Go ahead. Um, he has something to say about the the first one that you watched. This is David Crosby talking about. He said it was bullshit. Oh <laughs> uh, well, there was one that was about. There was it was I, I felt the same way because it was like they were talking about his music and they were singing his songs. Seen it. You I haven't know. seen it. But the other one was about the story of how songs got written. You know, uh, Graham Nash was interviewed extensively, and and so was David. And it was the idea. How could we articulate it if we were higher than kites while we were doing it? Like, <laughs> you know, at the time. Because granted, we were, all, we were all in the wagon later. Some of us were. But he was like, it was bullshit, man. Bullshit. Yeah, but the other one was pretty good because it really was talking. Yeah, he, had, he said he had influence over that in some capacity. I don't know. I think so. Yeah, because he was on camera and he was telling the story of his journey. Yeah, you wouldn't know. But he was also talking about, you know, how uh, Joni Mitchell and the people that were there in Laurel Canyon and how they influenced him and how they influenced each other. Yeah, he says, watch that movie. He's like the other movie is a piece of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'm sorry to say that Jacob Dylan is in the other movie, but I just happened to see it that same week. But I have a question for you. Um, Graham Nash, he's been talking about you quite a bit since you passed. Is there anything you want to say to Graham? Oh my gosh, it's so funny. I'm like, were you in a fight with him? Because he's like, really? Because of, you heard that I was not a nice guy. He's making fun of me, making fun of him. Um, give me a second. He's telling, he says, the reason why Graham's talking about me, he's like, is because I'm around him telling him it's really not that bad around here. It's not that bad up here. On the flip side. He's, like, he's trying to give him a soft landing, I guess you could say. Very uh, good. Um, he, just, said that, he said that he's still writing music. Is that right? Is that right? And to describe that to us, how do you do that? Poetry, or like he just said he puts information in his head. He goes, now I know how oh. So what he's helping David write music. I'm Graham write music. Both of them, if they could listen, they don't and, have to. And Stephen Stills is the other person, of course. The irony is that they don't need to hear from the outside. It's from within. Very good. Because that's the way we get it. That's the way we get it done. <laughs> and so you're inspiring them. So how do you do that? How do you create that field to influence them in their work? I don't know. I just put a word in their in their thought space, their enormous thought space, which it takes a long time for them to get to that word with all the other things coming at them. It was fascinating to watch, actually. And, and eventually, it gets them to go either go by the guitar or the drums or whatever. It gets them to think music. And then sometimes I have to work really hard to get them to stay with it. But 
they can feel my energy. They know I'm there more so than most people. So talk to I just, asked, I just asked him, I said, do they think they're thinking it though? Do they think they're making it up? And then he said, and he's like, of course they do. <laughs> talk to us a little bit about who you've met over there in terms of musicians. Put Everyone some- and no one. That's funny. Hold on. Give me a second. Well, again, and then he's he showing me our, of course, our infamous um, guitar player that's usually a, a host, Jimi Hendrix. Um, <laughs> shut up. Sorry, hold on. He's just laughing. He's like, we're on a world tour. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you and Jimmy? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what have you learned by being over there, talking to people or being aware of what they're doing? That was interesting. He said, I'm like, what about Woodstock? He showed me Woodstock and he said, I'm like, what did you learn? Did you learn that? Did that make it the best? You know, was that the best time of your life? He goes, no, but Woodstock made us have the best time of our lives later because of Woodstock. That's right. Inspired. That was their first time appearing in public. I didn't know that. I have no idea, but he showed me what's, and then, but he goes, it was, it wasn't, people have it backwards though. You're kind of arrogant, aren't you? Say again. I said, he's kind of arrogant. I asked him, I said to him, like, so you're saying that he said, they think Woodstock made us, but we actually made Woodstock. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, you know, that's arguably accurate. It's, (laughs) Sounds like a bunch of bullshit to me. But, <laughs> but again, I am a I am a fan of. I've never watched Woodstock to leave. So never. okay, well, I am a fan of the era and the music and the film, and so I I'm very familiar with it. And uh, they became quite famous and their ability to sing in harmony. But my question to you, David, is music now, the creation of music where you are. Can you create music or sound? Infinite infinitesimal sounds so please it's a vibration it's a frequency frequencies excuse me. well do you say frequency or do you say frequencies over there you say frequency that frequency in conjunction with music which is infinitesimal and what what does like, that you just show me I'm like is it lamb or lambs <laughs> because you don't say the lambs over there the lamb like whatever he's fighting i'm tight i understand but let's go let's go again with a little bit of what that frequency is like in terms of is it tonality is it is it more related to color g chord hold on g chord all right take g chord and put it on crack he said put a g chord on crack all right so something like but he said, he just showed me, then see it go out, the G chord go out as like a vibration a trillion times. The way that he's showing me this is like, by the time you see a star, the yeah. light of the star, how it's already out. Right? Yeah. At the time that we see, how are that? Do you know, you know what I'm saying? Sure, because it's we're looking at the history of the starlight that's coming to us. Correct. So he's saying music is very similar over on the other side. So it's like a frequency that reverberates and moves, 
Are you listening to other people's creation of it, or are you creating it? We're doing all of it. Listening to it and creating it. That's good right? job. Good job, man. <laughs> yeah. You just keep creating because that's what we're, he's like, hello, that's what we should be doing here. As I tell you, there's a stiff crump. Oh, that's funny. He showed me somebody dead that's stiff, like stiff competition. <laughs> oh, very funny. You guys have uh -huh. a humor. And so have you been playing with any other musicians? I mean, Jimmy yeah, is, is... Well, Prince just came through before you said that. Made, of course. Okay, so you answered the question before I could ask it. I always like, I'm like oh, hi, Prince. So what is that like playing with Prince? I mean, I, I don't know if you knew him or had ever met him, but what's that like for you now? It's like he was a little bit fancy for my taste. Um, but one hell of a musician. Maybe I was just jealous. That's funny. Maybe he was just jealous. Okay. Maybe, maybe he was just jealous, he said. No, and I understand because, look, Prince was jumping off of pianos and playing and doing all that stuff. And, and there's not many people who could do that. Correct. Um, hold on. We have different frequencies. So, oh, that's so interesting. He just showed me as a person having your own frequency. And we've talked about this in a different way with the calling card, right? Mm -hmm. So he's saying that he showed me Prince light up and him light up, but their frequencies are really fun together. It wouldn't have worked down here. It kind of would have crossed. It would have, they would have, their egos got in the way or their heads would get in the way. But up there to see it like go together is like, excuse me, is like that rainbow behind you. Hmm. Very nice. I'm like, are you sure that's what I'm like getting the right interpretation? Excuse me, am I getting the right interpretation? Just hold on. Well, the rainbow is a perfect example of the different frequencies of color. Each one blending yeah. and coming into something complete makes it makes another thing. Because but no, I did not hook up with Prince and there's not a rainbow because of that. I'm telling you because of what you said. It was just funny. I don't know why that was even. Yeah, why. yeah, that connection. Well, I just wanted to follow up on he feels David feels a little bit arrogant, which is a little bit the way he was. It's it's actually how he was in I life. I had more experience spirits arrogant today that are funny. <laughs> I had one that was actually he passed away and I won't go to the details about that, but his father said, Hey, how is he doing over there? And he said, well, for someone that off themselves, you know, like joking, like, cause he joking. Yeah. Committed he's like, for someone that off himself, himself, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> and I'm like, You're such a <laughs> well, but that's what that, I, his personality by him coming through like that, his dad, that he knew it was him because that's how way he is. Well, that's, know? that's what I wanted to ask David, which is, how do you retain that when there's so much that you leave on stage, your costume, your props, everything else, but you retain that sense of self or even snarky attitude? How do you retain that? Because I want to and I have to work at it. <laughs> As opposed to awe. You know, some people get on the flip side and that's all they can see. Mm, this is interesting. So I've noticed that when I am 
let's say that I get called in and somebody's in a coma, they're always super nice because they're still tied to their body. So the people that are in comas, I've realized or have dementia, they're always super nice when I see them in their universe or however you want to call it. But when you, so he showed that to me, which I find interesting, but then he, um, okay, show me again. He just said, it's just because of that's who I am. He said, if I came back all sweet and buttery, you'd be like, bullshit. (laughs) No, no, it's true. But I just wanted to know, because it's unique. It's a part of me that I don't want to let go, he said. Yeah, no, no. and I also think, well, let's just ask you this. Is this how you were, let's say, for all your lifetimes or just this one? I was worse. (laughs) Well, could you talk a little bit about that? What, What was a previous lifetime that you can show Jennifer, if you don't mind? You don't have to. You showed me like putting witches on the chopping blocks. <laughs> oh, all right. So making fun of me, which is not very nice. Well, let's ask him. Are you making fun of her? Or are you actually giving her a visual of something you used to do? Kidding. He's kidding. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't waste his time getting rid of whatever. Um, hmm. Go ahead. Where? He worked for a bread company, like a flour company in England. Interesting. Like making bread, baking bread, making bread. Making bread, like during the worst time of like a depression. So like in the previous century, like Victorian era, may I guess? Yeah. Or or like World War One, or be earlier. Okay, the Victorian era. And we've talked to people who lived then, to Charles Dickens era, when people were starving. And so what was that like to make a vital substance for humans? What was that like for you to create something? More than gold at that time, because people were dying. He said, it's, it's, he's, I asked him like, were you good? And he goes, it's not about good or bad. He goes, but I was, I was good. I would, he showed me, then he showed me like the Nazis, how people would smuggle out, you know, the germ would smuggle out the Jewish pe- people if they could, you know, without getting caught. He did that with the bread, knowing that he could have been, oh. you know. Okay, so, so he would save lives of people by slipping yeah. bread out. Okay. Did, did any part of that lifetime drift into this lifetime, or was there any connection between those two lifetimes? He never wanted bread in this lifetime, I think. So <laughs> he didn't want to eat a lot of bread. No, but, but what do you remember vis- viscerally about the bread making? Is it the heat? Is it the dough? Is it the smell? What What are the aspects of it that you can recall come to mind? Um, hold on. He's just showing me the like the big machines, like eventually, like the like he's showing me. Like mechanics and trying to put the bread together. By the way, the light in your office is changing. Is it? the? He showed me the pressure that was coming in, too. Like pressure the, of what? To, to make enough food? People, yeah. Oh, people, because they were starving. Yeah. Any... Was there anybody in that lifetime, in this lifetime, that there, there was a connection between that and this one? Anyone you recognize? I think uh, 
what who did you say it starts with a G? Well, Graham. Graham Nash and Stephen yeah, Stills. Graham was on the other side. He's laughing. I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere. He's like, it looked like I fed him too much bread this lifetime. But that's <laughs> ah, bread. Of bread. course, that's bread. cash. Cash in our lifetime. But but you had a connection with him on some level from yeah. that previous I think lifetime. He saved him. He's showing me he saved him. Saved him. Took care of him. Saved his life. Literally. It's almost like he got him a job working with him. Very good. So, they so, yeah. so when they started singing together, that recognition of frequency was what kept them and made them. What else are you going to do when you make bread? <laughs> I know this sounds crazy. I can't. The last thing in the world. It sounds crazy to me that I'm even getting this information. You guys have to understand this, but I just have to just give it. Um. But that process of making bread, it's dough, it's flour. Right. But the process that they would sing is what he's saying. Like they would do they would do other things that was so mundane. Oh, so they would sing together back then. And so when they met, uh, you tapped your nose, meaning yes, that's correct. Yeah. So when they started singing together, and Graham's talked about it, that when they first started singing together, it was like they had been singing together for another okay. lifetime. Right. That's right. really beautiful. Well, thank you, David. Yeah. yeah. I got a I got a really quick question for our one of our guests. Luana, if you don't mind. Carl Carl Lemley. Carl was the guy who produced the film and bought the rights to the film. He came in with Amelia Earhart. He was the film producer who created Universal Pictures. He's the one who bought the rights to the All Quiet on the Western Front. And there's been a remake made by Netflix, and the woman who wrote it, well, who acquired the rights to it and wrote the screenplay, 16 years ago, she was a triathlete, and she, when she won the triathlon, she said, I'm going to go to Hollywood and win an Oscar. And now here it is 16 years later, an amazing story where she ran out of money for the option, and she had to do a triathlon. Carl, are you aware of any of this? That's my question. Carl, do you know this story? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he appeared in her dreams. That's what he's saying. Okay. And did you, why did you pick her? Because she had a lot of time to think during the triathlons. <laughs> I was a professional triathlete. Like you it's usually great for ADD people or, you know, type A people because you're just like, oh, I just don't want to run. I want to swim. I want, okay, that's not enough. Let's bike. Okay, let's let's work out three to four hours a day. But Carl, do you want to show Jennifer what happened to this woman just prior to her last triathlon? She, um, and give me her first name. I don't know it. Okay, that's fine. Hold on. It's almost like she got sick and got better, or she something happened. She got better. Something happened to her. She broke her arm. Okay. And she needed to win this triathlon in order to get ten thousand dollars to retain the rights to the to the book. And she did the triathlon with a broken arm. Swam with one arm. And she won the triathlon and got the money and was able to make the film with Netflix. Wow. So, Carl, I just want to hear your. What do you think about that? We carried her. Sweet. 
Anything you want to say to her? It, let's do a prediction here. Carl, is she going to win the Oscar for Best uh, Adapted Screenplay? I don't know if you know that, Carl, or if you can tell us, but you want to tell us? It's interesting is I feel like she's not going to take credit for it. Like there's something about her not taking credit for it, even though she, like, I don't know why. But give me a well, second. there's there's another screenwriter named Edgar or Edward, and oh. and a guy Ian, but Leslie Patterson is her name. I just feel like they're going to win three awards. That's what it feels like. Well, that's all. Oh, three awards. Is she going to win an Oscar? That's my question, Carl. Yes, no. You've only got two options. <laughs> I feel it's a yes, but then again, there's a fifty percent chance I'm wrong. No, it's not you're wrong. It's Carl's wrong. Okay? Carl can say yes, and then we can go, Carl, you were wrong. You see? It's not Jennifer. We're asking Carl Lemley. Wow, that's pretty cool. I That you carried her over the finish line is a wonderful thing to say. It's pretty unusual. Because we carry each other. And that's that's another, you know, and then, of course, Hira's just like, that's why no one's ever alone. Not in a creepy way. <laughs> Not in a cat-like way, he said. <laughs> Ira, making cat jokes from the flip side. Like, why That's... not? He goes, your cat's crazy. Um, <laughs> but there's, if you think about it, think, he just showed me your house being a packed room. Between... Wow. So, Ira, do you show up at my place or are you show up at Robert's place? Or does that he matter? He waits for you outside the door. Oh, you're That's so sweet. Interesting. Um, I, don't, I don't believe that for a New York minute. <laughs> but he's like, it gets a little bit stuffy in there with all the spirits. And he did Sherry ever have a horse? Uh, possibly in a previous lifetime. I don't think in this he one. Showed me a horse that was like that was connected to Sherry. Okay, she had a she had a wonderful dog. Oh, Demi. I knew that. But was Demi a horse in a previous lifetime? Like it was. That's interesting. That's the whole concept. Okay, so he's like, we could choose to show up however we want. So if she shows up as a horse, it doesn't mean she can't show up as a dog, but she chooses to be a horse. Interesting. So is this Debbie right. that 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 he's referring to? Which would be Sherry's dog? She's had a couple. There's also a bird. Yeah, it's Sherry's dog. Okay, very good. <laughs> very good. She'll be startled to hear that. So very sweet. Um Beautiful. So, Hira. Grayish eyes. Um, All right. So, Hira, back to you. So, David Crosby, Carl Lemley, thank you so, so much. But we have the star of the show, the white commodore known as Hira, the Oscar nominee for Greystoke. Hira, what do you want me to tell Robert? <laughs> tell Robert to stop asking for me because I'm already there. <laughs> uh, he would like you to manifest a little bit more. He's like, I can have a full apparition and he still won't believe it. And he says that I can't just do that. That's going to scare the whole house. <laughs> so, but you can appear in people's dreams though, correct? You can appear. In I'm, he goes, he's, what? I'm like, does he throw you a ball in the dream? He goes, I don't fetch balls. What kind of dog do you think I am? That is so funny because Hira, was not like a dog at all. 
I, no. I think I, I'm like, does he throw? I'm like being giddy. I'm like, can we tell him he's like playing catch in his young days, like throwing him a ball? And he goes, I've never chased after. He goes, why would I ever chase after a ball? <laughs> that is Hira's personality. If I had thrown a ball to him, he would have looked at me. He would have like, looked at the ball and then looked back at me. Like, what are you thinking? So what he said was that he, um, he goes, no, I walk, I walk him every night. Not that he walks him for walks that he, that Tyra uh, walks Robert. Sweet Rob. Yeah. He takes Robert for a walk. Because I used to get mad when I had to walk Richard. <laughs> it's true. I would sit there in Robert's office and you never think that they're being walked. They're walking you. That's hilarious. Well, most dogs get really excited when you hold up the chain and like, you want to go for a walk? And they go like, oh, God, I better act like I'm excited. Otherwise, maybe this fool won't take me out. In Hyra's case, if I did any of that, he'd look at me like, really? Mm -hmm. You're going to look at me like that? Uh, I'll tell you when it's time for us to go. And he'd just walk out and I'd follow him. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> he said, tell Robert. I love him and he knows that. And that I keep in I keep in touch with all the animals that he has over on the other side. He says that his human friends over there would love to talk to him, but yet Robert wants no part of it. <laughs> um, and he says that can wait until he gets over it. And then it's a lot of fun. We're having a lot of fun. And that nothing to worry about. Brilliant. Uh, That's brilliant, Ira. That gesture and that hand clap means that the flip side door is slowly closing. Well, let's thank everybody. Luana, thank you so much for bringing Hira through. That's so sweet. We adore you. We miss you. We find you hilarious. Um, and yes, I did have a conversation with her last night because I just remembering it now where I was just talking about, give me a space that I can remember. So I'll know when I see the spaces, this is what you want to talk about. So maybe it's Hira. It's a good face. Um, also, David Crosby. I will, I will never ignore it. And the fact <laughs> that my son said, yeah, we watched this really cool movie. And he goes, you know, it has three names, the the musicians. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea. So, so here we are with uh, talking to David Crosby once again. We have always appreciate you coming through. It's wonderful. Carl Lemley, thank you for answering my question. Um, it, it's a fascinating topic and concept. And uh, these two folks are in our our podcast you can see them in previous episodes thank you so much jennifer for your gifts we appreciate it thank you for helping people here and on the flip side bye bye love love bye everyone bye everybody this has been hacking the afterlife podcast with jennifer schaefer for more information jenniferschaefer.com martinizone.com or richmartini.com Hacking the Afterlife documentary is available on Gaia.com via Amazon Prime.